0: If you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. Well, we're going to go on into our study now, picking it up in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 1. Hope and pray it'll be a blessing to you. Chapter of the book of Revelation tonight, if you would like to turn with us. Revelation chapter 14. We're going to begin with verse 1 tonight. Revelation 14 and verse 1. John said, I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him 140 and 4,000 having his father's name written in their foreheads. Now, the lamb mentioned here is the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 13, the Holy Spirit reveals to us the true colors of the Antichrist and the false prophet. And the Holy Spirit referred to them as beast. Although men will probably look at the Antichrist and the false prophet as being uh, the greatest thing that's ever happened in the world. Uh, the Holy Spirit called them beast. Even said that the false prophet had a lamb-like appearance and spoke as a dragon. The false prophet, along with the Antichrist, will be so empowered by the forces of hell. They, the three, working together like the Holy Trinity will damn millions of people to hell, will force the mark to be taken. And like I said, once they take that mark, there is no chance of those individuals being saved. Now, the book of Revelation deals with the Antichrist, the false prophet, the mark of the beast, the seven-year tribulation, so on and so forth. But let me remind you tonight that the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1, I don't want us to lose sight of that because I know the past two or three weeks we've been dealing with these different issues, and the Holy Spirit spent a right good bit of time dealing with these things, but the major point of the book of Revelation is the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Twenty-eight times in the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ is referred to as a Lamb. And it was uh, most common in the Old Testament, the uh, sacrifice that was offered up Most of the time, it was a lamb. And the lamb, like I said, is symbolic of the Lord Jesus Christ. When they brought that lamb in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to the Redeemer coming into this world and dying for the sins of mankind. If you want to say it was salvation on credit, that's pretty much what it was. They would bring that lamb... They would offer it up, blood was poured out, and, and the sacrifice was, was carried out and so forth. But it was salvation on credit. The blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin. But when John the Baptist introduced Jesus Christ, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ Forever settled the sin debt when he died on Calvary's cross. He paid it in full. It is a finished work. He paid for all sin. Past, present, future. One sacrifice did it all. As the song says, Jesus paid it all. And John mentions the word lamb in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 6. If you will, flip back over there right quick, and let's point out a few things here about the lamb that John saw. Now, in the fifth chapter of the book of Revelation, John saw a book held in the right hand of God the Father... And a proclamation was made, who is worthy to take the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And no man was found worthy to open the book and to loose the seals, and John wept. But in verse six of Revelation chapter five, John beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as if it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. This lamb looked as if though it had been slain, but yet it was still standing. This speaks of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, as if it had been slain jesus christ was perfect every one of the lambs that were brought to the priest in the old testament and offered up as a sacrifice it had to be inspected minutely so if there was a spot a blemish of any kind then that one was put to the side and they would grab another one and inspect it Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. He never sinned one time in word, thought, or deed, and he was the perfect sacrifice. The reason we know that he lived a perfect life is because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Had Jesus so much had committed one sin in his life, then when he died, that would have been it. He would not have been raised from the dead. But when he came to the end of his life and ministry, Jesus said, Satan hath no part in me. He lived a perfect life. He died on Calvary, prayed the sin debt, and he was raised again the third day. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, this lamb had seven horns. The number seven is used in the book of Revelation. It is God's number of perfection, universality, and completion. And this lamb had seven horns. Most of the time, a lamb only has two. But this lamb here had seven horns. Horns speak of dominion. And Jesus... Having these symbolic horns, seven of them, means that Jesus has total, absolute, and complete dominion over all things now because of what he did at Calvary's cross. When he died on Calvary, I have you to know he defeated death, hell, and the grave. In the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verse 15, the apostle Paul said he spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. He also defeated the sin nature that is within the hearts and lives of all of us who believe. The apostle Paul said in Romans 6 and verse 14... Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but you are under grace. What is grace? We sing about it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. What is grace? The Greek word for grace is charis. It means the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. Let me say that again. Grace. It is a divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. The Holy Spirit... Comes into our hearts and lives the moment we are saved. And let me also say that he is also represented by the number seven. Revelation 5 and verse 6. The seven spirits of God. That doesn't mean that there are seven holy spirits. There's only one. But it speaks of the perfection and the completeness of the holy spirit. And he is sent forth into all the earth. He's all over the world today in the hearts and lives of every one of us who believe. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that's living within our hearts and lives. It is that same power that binds up the sin nature within all of us who believe renders that sin nature ineffective, puts it in a state of remission to where it's not able to function as it once did. And that is as long as we keep our faith in the finished work of Christ. And we have to take that gospel every day. Amen. And as long as we do that by faith, then the Holy Spirit is going to do his job. Alright, now this lamb there in Revelation 5 in verse 6 had seven eyes. The eyes speak of illumination. Jesus has perfect illumination and understanding of all things. Nothing gets by him. He knows all. He sees all. And let me tell you, he's keeping a record of all that is going on. And one day, Every single one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we will give an account of what we've done with this great gift of salvation of which Jesus has paid such a price. What did we do with the with our salvation? And that's what we will be judged for. Sins were all judged at Calvary. You won't have to worry about that. You won't have to worry about the Lord bringing up any sin that you may have committed. But the works that we have done most definitely uh, will be called into account. Now, this lamb that John sees, Revelation 14 and verse 1, he is standing in Mount Zion. Now, this is not the earthly Mount Zion. This is the heavenly Mount Zion. In other words, he is up in heaven. And with him, he's got 144,000. Now, all of these are Jews that got saved during the first half of the tribulation period. Uh, In chapter 7, we learn that it's 12,000 from each tribe. Uh, I don't know why it's 12,000 from each tribe. I'm just telling you what the book says. Um, It's uh, also mentioned in chapter 12. The 144,000 is referred to as the man-child. And they are raptured out in Revelation 12 and verse 5. If you want to take a look at that. Revelation 12. Verse 5, the Bible says that she brought forth the man-child. She is speaking of Israel. She brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with the rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. The phrase caught up is the same phrase that the Apostle Paul used in First Thessalonians 4 and 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now that... Is the rapture of the church. But the man child, the 144,000 Jews, they'll get saved during the first half of the tribulation period. By the midpoint of the tribulation period, they will be raptured out. And John sees them with Christ up in heaven at this particular time. Now, let me say this about that if you're not standing for christ here and now you won't have to worry about standing with him then and there let me say that again if you are not standing up for jesus christ here and now you can forget about standing with him there and then Jesus said, "If you deny me before men, then I will deny you before our Father, which is in heaven. All right, now these hundred and forty four thousand Jews, they had the Father's name in their foreheads. Now, they're marked with the seal. I believe it's chapter 7 of the book of Revelation, in the forehead. Here John says the Father's name is in the forehead. While they're here on earth, I don't think it's going to be an outward marking of some kind where you can look at them and say, oh, well, you're numbered with one of the 144,000 Jews. I don't think it's going to be a physical outward um type of thing it may be but i don't believe it it will be i will say this when a person gets saved their life changes it shows in how they act and how they live and uh, of course that is something that all of us should be cognizant of the one that we represent now john says that the Father's name was written in their forehead. You've got to understand now, they're all in heaven at this particular time that John is seeing them. Will they have a literal name where you can actually see it in heaven? Or is this symbolic of something? I don't know. I'm just reading to you what the book says. I'll just have to leave that... Entirely up to you. Now as far as there being an actual marking on the head. While they're here on earth. It's a funny thing that the Antichrist and the false prophet is causing men to take a mark in the right hand or forehead. And they are known for copying everything that God does. So could it be a physical thing? There's a chance that it could be. But we really don't know. I guess we'll know. Farther along, as the song says, we'll know more about it. Alright, Revelation 14 verse 2. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. Here we have the 144,000 praising and worshiping God. It was loud. It was like the voice of many waters and of a great thunder. I think we need to take a look at that. And examine our own praise and worship of God. And we might need to make some adjustments accordingly. We got a lot to praise and worship God about. Amen. Now. These 144,000 were playing harps. How many of them do you think had the ability to play a harp here on earth? A few maybe, but not not all 144,000 of them. I guess it is safe to say when we all get to heaven, God's going to give us a harp. We'll all have something to harp on. (laughs) God's going to give us a harp, but guess what? He's also going to give us the ability to play it. I want you to think about that. Some of you, bless your heart, you can't carry a tune in a bucket. But one day when you get to heaven, God's going to give you a harp, and he's going to give you the ability to play it. And you're going to play it for his... For his glory. This is just one. Thing. That I know of. These Jews will be given a heart and the ability to play it. What else will they be able to do? Think about that. What will we be able. To do. Over above and beyond. What we're currently doing here on earth. is a lot to think about. First Corinthians 2 in verse 9. It is written. Eye has not seen nor ear heard. Neither has it entered into the heart of man the things. Which God has prepared for them that love him. Think about that. There ain't no telling what we'll be able to do over there a lot to look forward to. All right. Revelation 14, verse 3. They sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. These 144,000 Jews were redeemed from the earth at a time when Satan was about to devour them. And you can read that in... Uh, Revelation chapter 12 verse 4 but now we see them singing a new song in heaven before the very throne room of God in front of the four beasts and the 24 elders now I don't know for sure what the song will be some say that perhaps they're singing song 149 or one of the other psalms and I've read behind different commentators, and they gave their reasonings for that. But the Bible says this is a new song. It is a song that has never been sung before. And nobody else could learn that song except the 144,000. Now, like I said, I don't know exactly what the song will be, but I've got a suspicion it may have something to do with what they've been through here on this earth. Um, They're all Jews. They got saved just like you and I get saved today. But at the midpoint of the tribulation period, the Antichrist will come into Jerusalem With the intentions of killing every single Jew that he can get his hands on. And it's at this time that God's going to rapture them out. Satan had intentions on destroying these Jews and God saved them. These 144,000 are the only ones who have experienced this type of thing. Could it be that the song they're singing has something to do with what they've experienced? If that is the case, then no wonder no one else could sing that song but the 144,000. But we really don't know. All right, Revelation 14, verse 4. These are they which were not defiled with women... For they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men. Being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. Now the phrase not defiled with women. Leads you to think that all of these are men. And then the phrase right after that says they are virgins. Well, that leads you to think that they're all women. These two phrases have nothing to do with social vices. Has nothing to do with that. Uh, If you will, turn to Isaiah chapter 54. The 144,000 that are saved... Uh, Is going to be a combination of both men and women. And like I said, these these, uh, phrases here have nothing to do with uh, the social vices as you normally think. It's referring to spiritual adultery. And throughout the Old Testament, God likened idolatry to adultery and in isaiah chapter 54 move down if you will to verse 5 god said for thy maker is thy husband the lord of hosts is his name and thy redeemer the holy one of israel the god of the whole earth shall he be called For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit and a wife of youth when thou wast refused, saith God. When Israel began to worship idols and other gods, in the eyes of God, it was spiritual adultery. If you will, look at Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3. Move down, if you will, to verse 8. And I saw when, for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I put her away, and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. And it came to pass through the lightness of her whoredom that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and with stocks. Like I said, the phrase over in Revelation 14, not being defiled with women and being virgins has nothing to do with. Uh, procreation. It has nothing to do with that whatsoever. It has to do with being unfaithful to the Lord. When a person places their faith in anything other than the finished work of Christ and what he did on the cross, that person is committing spiritual adultery let me say that again any time a person places their faith in anything other than jesus christ and what he did on the cross for their salvation and sanctification they are committing the act of spiritual adultery Israel did the same thing in the days of old. The church is doing the same thing today. And let me give you a couple examples. Anytime a person says, you've got to be baptized in order to be saved, they're committing the sin of spiritual adultery. Their faith is not... So much in Christ and what he did on the cross. In essence what they're saying is what Jesus did was insufficient. It's not enough. You've got to be baptized in order to be saved. The same thing can be said for those who take the Lord's Supper. They they say that if you don't take the Lord's Supper then uh, you're not saved. You've got some that say, well, if you don't speak in other tongues, then you're not saved. Our Seventh-day uh, adventist uh, they, they've they're committing the act of spiritual adultery when they say you've got to go to church on Saturday instead of Sunday. Anything, they've added something else to the finished work of Christ, and it is the same thing as committing adultery. God is our husband. He is to supply everything we need. Ladies and gentlemen, the main thing we need is salvation. And God has provided that totally, absolutely, and completely, and it needs nothing else added to it. You don't have to be a member of this church. You don't have to be baptized in our tank. You don't need your name on the roll. You don't have to take the Lord's Supper to be saved. Now, let me take it a step further and let's go over here into this area, the area of sanctification. Sanctification is a process that all of us are going through as the Lord continues to separate us from the things of this world and sets us aside uh, to be used as a vessel unto himself. Everything Jesus did at Calvary was sufficient for our sanctification. But you've got some people that say, I've got to read the Bible so much every day. I've got to get my three to four chapters in every day. You've got some people that think, well, if I don't pray 10, 15 minutes a day. If I don't fast at least once a month. If I don't go to church every time the church door uh, is open, again, they're adding to the finished work of Christ. The way you're saved and the way the Holy Spirit works within your heart and life and continues to sanctify you and make us into what we ought to be is by simply keeping our faith in Christ, and what he did on the cross. That's it. These other things are important. Don't misunderstand. Water baptism, important. Lord's Supper, important. Reading the Bible, Lord, yes, I wish all of you would read your Bible more. Pray, that's what we've been talking about for the past uh, month or so, the subject of prayer. I want you to do these things, but I want you to keep your focus on the finished work of Christ because, ladies and gentlemen, that is what opens the door for the Holy Spirit to come inside and remain inside. Keep that sin nature bound up and continue to keep working within our hearts and within our lives. And these 144,000 were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. In other words, they were faithful to the Lord. And they followed the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. This ties right in with Luke nine twenty three. Jesus said, If you're going to come after me, you're going to have to deny yourself. Take up the cross daily and follow me. These hundred and forty-four thousand did, and that's how they were redeemed. But they also are the first fruits unto God. And to the Lamb. This means that they are the first of Israel to be saved. Because the rest of Israel is soon to follow at the second coming of Christ. Alright, Revelation 14 verse 5. And in their mouth was found no guile. For they are without fault before the throne of God. Now what in the world does that mean? Do you mean tell me all 144,000 of these Jews... Um. never said a curse word, never told a dirty joke, never got angry and said something they shouldn't have said. Every single one of them is human. And no doubt they did. But the reason the Bible says there's no guile found in their mouth and they are without fault before the throne of God, is because these Jews accepted Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, that taketh away the sin of the world. And Jesus Christ took away those sins, whatever sins they may be. It's the same thing with you and I tonight. When we stand before God, there is nothing that God will hold against us. There is no fault found in any one of us. Why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to wash and to cleanse from all sin.